2: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: On the Cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Cast.
3: Memory is a selection of images, some elusive, others imprinted indelibly on the brain. Hello, and welcome to the Cast. My name (laughs) is... Is Caitlin Durante.
0: <laughs> my name's Jamie Loftus. Caitlin, I thought you were gonna say this summer I killed my podcast co-host. <laughs> I was thirty-four years old. Oh, that would have been okay. <laughs> just to get things off
3: to a really sinister beginning. <laughs> that well, you know what? We uh, close enough. Honestly, I would watch that movie. Even
0: if even if I had to die at the end, you know, I've in fact I might welcome it uh <laughs> i jamie
3: rest assured that i will never kill you
0: but what if you you know what if in your mind you've set off a chain of events that leads to like someone else like what if you say something to someone and then it gets around to so and so and then jack o'brien kills,
3: and, kills and,
0: <laughs> and then you're like it's my fault but but
3: jack o'brien pulled the trigger so sure i would definitely feel responsible and guilty about it but I also don't I hope that I never like accidentally or on purpose do anything that might like trigger a chain of events that leads to your murder
0: thank you so much (laughs) ultimately I do think um it would be funny if Jacob Bryan murdered me just because I'm like I just don't see it happening but um it would be it would be a wild twist it sure would that conversation um did not it, uh, entirely pass the bechdel t- i think maybe yeah. it's areas of it did it did i yeah. should have said i should have you should have
3: said jack o'brien you should have said on a hostia yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my house and kills me and then it would have been completely above board yeah uh, yeah yeah this is the Bechtel cast this is <laughs> caitlin and my podcast where we talk about uh, your favorite movies and your least favorite movies from an intersectional feminist lens,
3: using the Bechtel test as a jumping-off point, which is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel. There are different variations of the test. Ours is that two people from of any marginalized gender have to have names, they have to speak to each other, and their conversation has to be about something other than a man. For at least a two-line exchange of dialogue. Not
0: many movies can do it, but I think you're in for a treat today.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. So, with that, I say we introduce our guest and uh, get the ball rolling. Let's do it. She is the host of the podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, as well as the mini series, Disinformed. It's Bridget Todd. Hi. Hello.
4: I'm so excited to be here. Being on this podcast has been a little bit of a dream of mine, so I'm so happy that it's finally a
0: reality. The time is here. We've been trying to make it happen for so long, and the stars have finally aligned. Blind.
4: And Jamie, if Jack O'Brien happens to kill you, I'll always happily take your place. Just FYI. <laughs> no,
0: I'm there kidding. you go. Perfect. <laughs> See, this is, there's a greater plot. <laughs> wow. Um, that's, you know what? Honestly, in the event of my untimely death, please do not avenge me. And instead, just begin to host the Bechtelcast. Yes, uh, you, be, you can bequeath it to me. Is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll start my will tonight, and just just to make sure everything is all set. Yeah. yeah. Nice and legal. Exactly. Exactly. Is that is that something that would be really funny if you could? Leave, not funny is not the word, but interesting if you could leave your job to another person. <laughs> maybe someone's done that someone has to have
4: done that right or i try like, to
0: i feel like that's just like rich people dynasties could do that but it would be funny if you're like i'm a second grade teacher at the kennedy school and i leave my job to my 12 year old son like
3: I mean, wild well there's sounds like there's a movie plot there <laughs> exactly uh okay so Bridget, we're so excited to have you here. Thank you for being here. Tell us what your history, your relationship with today's movie, which we forgot to say is Eve's Bayou. Yes, Tell us all about it.
4: Yeah, so it's a movie. So I had to really like think hard about my relationship with this movie. I realized that my parents had it on VHS. Mm -hmm. And so I think Mm -hmm. I watched it when when it first came out. I was like a child. Because my parents just had it. And it was one of those movies – my parents didn't have a lot of movies on VHS, so it was, like, one of those movies that I had seen a couple of times just by virtue of my parents having it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another one of those movies would be Nell. You know, those movies where it's like, oh, my parents uh, randomly uh-huh. just had this on VHS for some reason. <laughs> uh, and I remember distinctly my brother, who was a bit older, being like, oh, I tried to watch that movie and nothing much happens in it. And so oh. – Really thinking like oh it's a movie that's like not good or it's boring really just based on this offhand comment my brother made <laughs> when I was a child that's
0: the best
3: and I could also I could definitely see how a child watching this movie would think that nothing really happens in it yeah a lot of it as a
4: kid I think most of the plot and subtext went right over my head I didn't mm-hmm. like I could not have I, even though I've seen I had seen it. Most of the major plot points I could not have articulated. And also, something I have to say is that uh, this is a bit embarrassing, but when I was young, I went through a phase where I was doing some, like, child acting and, like, child modeling and child pageantry. And I don't know if y'all know this, but the main character, Eve, the titular character, Journey Smollett, she was our, I guess she was a bit younger than me, but like our era of doing that stuff overlapped. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. once went to an audition that she was also auditioning for. Oh. Uh, but she was like the it girl. like if you like she was on a full house, she was in mm-hmm. um that movie with Robin Williams Jack. like oh, she was yeah. she was like a certain kind of young. It girl in in, in like, a, like a window of the 90s
3: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. whoa that's that you've had interactions with Journey at like I mean I guess there's really no the great thing about Journey Smollett is there's no such thing as peak Journey Smollett she's had so many like phases of her career that you could argue right now like Birds of Prey Journey Smollett is peak Journey Smollett you just she's been it's so weird I feel like she like isn't brought up a lot as like an iconic child actor which is strange because yeah. she has been so consistently really good yeah mm-hmm. and
4: very recognizable yeah um and it's been fun to see her like her work on Lovecraft Country like it's been interesting mm-hmm. to see her have this staying power
3: mm-hmm. oh, I she is like unbelievable in this movie like yes good lord yeah. so good uh, a child actor i can get behind <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh jamie what uh, what's your relationship uh, i am i ashamed to say i only recently learned
0: that this movie uh existed i knew Uh, about the uh, writer-director, Cassie Lemons. Like, I'd I'd seen a lot of her later work and I, like, recognized her from her acting days, but I hadn't heard that much about this movie until I was working on Lolita Podcast Plug Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of months ago and I was looking up, like, kind of iconic movies that addressed child sex abuse in one way or another and Eve's Bayou popped up and I was like, oh, we've gotten requests for this and kind of, like learned about the movie from there so i i don't know i it it was strange too because it like this movie came out in 97 and Mm -hmm. appears to have been snubbed for all of the major like most major awards which is really frustrating Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it was like a popular movie at the time like i asked my mom if she had seen it she's like oh yeah i saw it like a a lot of people saw that movie and i was like why don't i ever hear about it i don't know it was just kind of i'm I'm, like, bummed out and, like, surprised that I didn't know about it till recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I... Holy shit. There's so much to talk about with this movie. I'm really excited to talk about it. The fact that this is her first movie is, like... Yeah. Ho- like, the bar is so high. It's so, so good. For sure. Yeah. Caitlin, what's your history with this movie?
3: Um, It was on my radar for a while, but I hadn't seen it until we started prepping for this episode. And, yeah, it's... I did not know how challenging of a movie it was going to be. And I'm very like, I'm nervous to talk about it. It just like deals with some very challenging subject matter. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to fuck this up. But um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm nervous to talk about it. There's a lot to unpack. And yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: I, I was really looking forward to one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to our conversation is because when I was watching it I kept saying like I forgot that you know um I guess we'll get into it but I was really excited to hear Jamie since of your work on the Lolita podcast uh, about some of the themes in the film like mm-hmm. they're I, I think I I must have just like blocked out that is a plot device in Eve's Bayou when I saw or or I guess because I saw it when I was young I think it just like went over my head um but yeah I was like oh I bet Jamie's got some interesting (laughs) insight from doing so much research (sighs) for Lolita pod
0: yeah yeah there's there's a lot I'm I'm I excited isn't the word but I think it'll be like an interesting conversation for all of us to to talk about because I Mm -hmm. thought that like I mean there's so many movies that hand, handle it so like extremely poorly. And I also can imagine like if I had seen this movie when I was too young, I wouldn't have I don't know, like the way it's presented would have been confusing to me, but I I I think generally like it's done like really really thoughtfully and like in a way that I I don't know, yeah that I don't really see very much. So I'm excited to talk about it.
3: Yeah. Should I do the recap and we'll go from there let's do it okay so this would be i think a good time just for a trigger warning Mm -hmm. for child sexual abuse and incest Mm -hmm. Um, so the movie opens with some voiceover from the titular character eve as an adult she's talking about memories and she says that line that we referenced in the beginning of the episode that she killed her father when she was 10 years old Um, We are in a place called Eve's Bayou, which is a small Creole community in Louisiana in the 1960s. Uh, We cut to the Batiste family throwing a decadent party, and we meet a 10-year-old girl, Eve, uh, that's Journey Smollett. Her father is a respected doctor, that's Samuel L. Jackson. Her mother, Roz, is Lynn Whitfield. She's the prettiest woman in town. And she also has a younger brother, Poe, played by Jake Smollett. And you can tell that, they, can are tell real that they are real-life siblings.
4: They're yes, so related, they look so much alike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like poor Megan Good, these two kids are so related. <laughs> also, I didn't realize that it, this was young Megan Good, and I didn't know that Megan Good was a child actor. Mm. I was—I'm a fan of adult Megan Good. Didn't know she's been at this for
3: so long. Yep. Because, yes, she, Megan Good plays Eve's older sister, Cicely, uh, who had, has just turned 14. Uh, we also meet Eve's grandmother and her aunt, Moselle, played by Debbie Morgan. So, at this party, Eve gets jealous because her dad always is dancing with her sister, Cicely, and never with her. And this is also where she catches her father having sex with another woman. Maddie Moreau, played by Lisa Nicole Carson. And later that night, Eve tells her sister, Cicely, what she saw, but Cicely doesn't believe her, and she kind of fabricates this uh, more innocent, alternate version of what Eve must have seen.
0: Yeah, the ga- it's, it's the the rapid succession of gaslighting uh, that happens to Eve in the first hour of this. You're just like, oh, yeah. Eve. Right.
3: And then later that night, Eve has a premonition that her Aunt Moselle's husband, Harry, dies, and it comes true. Um, So Eve has this kind of ability of foresight, as does her Aunt Moselle, and she works as a psychic counselor, and in some cases she incorporates voodoo into her practices. Meanwhile, Louis continues on with his Alliances with different women around town.
0: Flagrantly,
3: by yes. the way. Flagrantly.
0: I'm just like, I <laughs> yes. Eve has eyes. What are you
4: doing? <laughs> like, there's one scene when he takes her on his like doctor house calls, and like there's a woman who's like in a nighty in bed, like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I need I need some healing. And he just like closes the door on his daughter. It's like one yes. ringer.
0: <laughs> she's like, wink, wink, go outside. I'm like, she's like, she's. 10 not oh like, my god right
3: yeah uh, so yeah. that's his mo and eve's mother roz is either growing suspicious of this or perhaps already fully aware not it not seems exactly like clear. she knows yeah I don't know. and then which eve also starts to figure out is happening on a pretty regular basis So one day, Roz and Aunt Moselle stop by a market where a woman named Elzora, played by Diane Carroll, is giving fortunes. And Roz gets her fortune told, and Elzora says, you're in pain, but you should just kind of stay quiet and wait. Sometimes a soldier falls on his own sword, and in three years you'll be happy again. Look to your children, look to your children. And this is, like, very ominous, and Roz is kind of freaking out about it. Mm -hmm. And then Moselle has a premonition that a child gets hit by a train, and Roz is terrified because she thinks it might be it'll be one of her children. So she coops them up in the house for several weeks.
0: Well, also, you, you missed the part where Elzora is so mean to. <laughs> yeah. It's like a psychic on psychic. Like, right. Roast so, oh battle. I was like, oh, and, my and God.
4: She's like, like, I don't need no cat bones to tell you that you're the black widow. And any man who lays with you is going to die. <laughs> And she, the, the scene is actually <laughs> like, upsetting because she's like, you old witch. And she, the <laughs> jar that this woman has been like cutting her money in, she throws it and it breaks. Yeah. I gotta say, I probably, if I met a creepy old voodoo lady, I probably mm. would like not be so rude to her. I probably wouldn't, I don't, I would like. I was a little concerned that she was being so openly hostile to this woman who seemed so scary. Right.
0: Yeah. It's 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 fun because there's um there's a number of actors in this movie mostly female actors who had really established themselves in soap operas and it seems like that they're like oh these are two soap opera like <laughs> legends being like i'm not cursed and like yes. throwing a you know shattering glass yeah like, oh, oh my mo- God. i love the soap opera act like you just yes. There are so many like amazing actors who started in soaps, but when they get to like go back to their roots, it's exciting.
4: Mm. I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean, Diane Carroll is an icon from Dynasty, yeah. like. I don't know if y'all watch Dynasty. I, I was definitely, like, young watching it when my grandma was re-watching it. But, like,
3: mm-hmm.
4: her role on the old dynasties where she would always... You know that um, that expression, like, oh, I have the receipts? That comes from her. She originated that. There's an amazing scene from an old oh, Dynasty episode no. where it's, like, her and she's wearing a fur. And she's like, I have the receipts. And she's, like, throwing them uh, Honestly, shout out to a fucking icon legend. Like, so happy that she's in this movie. And I think that she does pump up the drama, the soapy drama in an amazing way. Mm
0: -hmm. It's so... The way that, like, when she, like, does the, like, the, ah, ha, 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 you're like, (laughs) oh, my God, that is, like... I, fr- I had to go, I forgot that she was on Dynasty and I was like, oh my God, what was her, because I remember watching reruns. I was like, what was her character's name? It was Dominique Devereux. It was That's so right. Dynasty. Oh. <laughs> and then Debbie Morgan uh, was on uh, All My Children mm-hmm. for a really long time. And she was the first uh, black woman to win an Emmy for soap opera. Oh, no
3: way. Hey. So there you
0: go. But yeah, there the soap opera energy in that scene was really it's just palpable exciting. It, it was
3: very palpable. Also, Moselle screams, You're a horrid lying old witch, which almost <laughs> passes the Bechtel test, except <gasps> that- yeah. Except that the fortune was about men and her husbands who will die. So, yeah, I skipped over that part because there's a whole subplot where, like, then Moselle, like, meets a man and, like, but all of her husbands have died. And she, like, explains all of this to Eve. And then, but this other, this new man comes in and they fall in love. And she's, like, afraid that he's going to die if they get married. I just kind of... I. Basically skip over that in the recap, but that is a part of the movie. <laughs> I just was like, I, that was like one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> yeah.
4: Oh, the reenactment of that. The re- the-, the part where oh, she's oh. telling ta- of talking about her, um, where Moselle is talking about her ex lovers, and mm-hmm. it's like that re- that reenactment scene of her ex lover, her husband getting shot by her ex lover. I was yeah. like, oh my, my God. heart was like racing. <laughs>
0: It is like, it's very soapy, but the way it's acted out, you're like, oh, this is like a play. Like the yes. way that it's mm-hmm. like appearing in the reflection. I was like, oh, yes, this uh, is yeah. like, this is a Broadway award winning
3: play. Like, it just, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's so good. Yep. Um. Okay. So then, Moselle has her premonition about a child being killed. So Roz coops all her children up in the house. Everyone is getting very restless. Eve has an outburst, which is also like I think that's my favorite scene where she like is just like screaming and she's like calling everyone out on their shit and like giving everyone attitude. And I was like, damn, that is again very good (laughs) child acting, and I'm here for it. And
0: then it was like I was like, oh my gosh. Now she's going to talk to Moselle, and Moselle's going to believe her. And then uh, Moselle does believe her, but she's like, I do believe you. But if you speak
3: your truth, I will kill you. And you're like, no! I will do harm to you! (laughs) No! Right. So. So then one day, Cicely leaves against her her mother's, like, explicit instructions to stay home, and she goes to visit her dad, and then she also goes to the beauty parlor, and her mother is really upset because Cicely disobeyed her, and she hits her, and then that night, Roz and Louis argue. And then Moselle's premonition comes true. A child gets hit by a bus, but it was not one of the Batiste children. So they're oh God, like, This is so weird. They
0: throw a party when a kid is killed by a bus. You're like, yeah. Like, thank God it wasn't one of mine. <laughs> I do appreciate the grandma in that mm-hmm. scene. She's not in the movie very much, but she's just like, you guys, yeah, a child has died, and they're like, they're like,
3: not my problem. <laughs> yeah. We can go outside. It's also a child that they know. They're like, yeah. oh, yeah. it's like so and so's boy, and it's like, you you know this family, like,
0: wow. It is like, I it's funny, isn't the word? But I'm just like, wow. It in I I don't. It's just like there's not room in the movie to mourn this fictional child, but it's like, oh, this kid was probably friends with the Batiste kids and they're just right. like woohoo let's yeah. eat the hot dog they know the child
4: by name right Like they obviously <laughs> know, they know him <laughs> he's like in their community yeah
0: oh, oh my god there's I appreciated grandma mm-hmm. advocating on
3: behalf of a uh, fictional bus kid yes <laughs> truly um but they're very excited that they can go outside again and then Eve goes to tell Sicily the news but Cicely is very upset and she has kind of shut down. And it might be because she has just gotten her period. It might be because Roz had hit her not long ago. And she lashes out violently at Eve. And then she continues to like stay like just emotionally and mentally shut down for a few weeks. And then she tells Eve what's really going on. Which is that a few weeks ago, the night that her parents had a big fight, it was like the night of this big storm, Cicely went to go comfort her father, but he abused her sexually and physically, and upon hearing this, Eve wants her father dead for doing that to her sister. So Eve goes to Elzora, who practices voodoo, in hopes that she can help Eve kill her father. And it's around this time also that Eve heavily suggests to Maddie Moreau's husband that Maddie is cheating on him.
0: That's another really good journey Smollett scene where you can like, Ooh, it's especially with child actors. I'm like, wow, you can really see the gears turning in her head of like, should I do it? Should I do it? Should I do it? And then it's like, yeah. You, oh God, it's really good. Mm-hmm.
4: And obviously, like it was effective. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe not the way that she in the way that she wanted, but like you know, part of me was thinking like, imagine being an adult, an adult man, and a child is telling you what is going on in your own household. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That that was brutal. And then the second that would like, uh oh, this story is so well crafted that it's like oh the second that happens i'm like oh like i sort of saw the end coming but it was like satisfying because Mm -hmm. of how full circle like every everything that's planted has this significance and yeah it if you think you know it's coming you might be right Mm -hmm.
3: so then eve goes back to elzora And the voodoo that Elzora had performed was not what Eve had expected. And she's not sure if it's going to work. And then Eve has second thoughts about wanting her father dead. So she goes to him, who is at that moment with Maddie. And then Maddie's husband shows up, figures out what's going on, and shoots and kills Louis. Which plays out the way that Moselle's premonition had played out earlier, where it seems like someone... Uh, had got hit by a train. So the family grieves the loss of Louis, and then Eve finds a letter that Louis had wrote to his sister Moselle, who had apparently accused Louis of abusing his daughter. And in the letter, Louis explains his version of what happened, that Cicely was the one to come on to him, and that he fought her off. Um, So Eve confronts Cicely, accusing her of having lied about what happened. And it's a very heavy emotional moment. They're both in tears. And Cicely says, I don't know what happened. And they decide to just get rid of the letter. And then the voiceover comes back in, repeating that line about memory being a selection of images. Some elusive others imprinted indelibly on the brain. And that is the end of the movie so the last shot is like haunting yeah it is yeah so let's take a quick break and then we will come right back to discuss
1: when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year 100,000 mile limited warranty you stop thinking about what you can't do
0: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio
2: app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love and dating. to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.
0: And we're back. Um, So I think it would probably be best to start with kind of the most sensitive aspects of this conversation and Mm -hmm. then lead into the kind of uh, more (laughs) fun parts. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I guess start there. I've been unfortunately like researching child sex abuse for like seven or eight months at this point and so there's like a lot of thoughts i had watching this movie that were i mean okay so (laughs) uh, i guess like trigger warning for this whole section and we can even like time code out in the description Mm -hmm. like if Mm -hmm. you want to skip over this conversation you can pick up here but yeah i thought that this was like especially for its time like a pretty authentic Portrait of how abuse plays out and I really appreciated just kind of like how it was showed for the kind of mess that it is and how it affects families in such specific ways mm-hmm. so first of all like this this movie shows uh, it shows the sexual abuse of a young black girl which is I think for for like by and large in movies it is shown to be abused towards cis white girls, which absolutely does happen very frequently, but not at the same rate that it happens in Black and Indigenous communities. So, mm-hmm. it like I feel like it's an important story to tell on that end. And another thing that it kind of touches on that I feel like is really not still kind of not understood in any meaningful way is that nine times out of ten um, sexual abuse experience as a child happens by someone that you know, mm-hmm. at least somewhat, but mo- most often it is someone that you know well. And so like we're, we were raised you know, because this happens in the 60s. So first of all, we don't even have these resources commonly available and they were even less available in the 60s. -hmm. And like we're generally taught as kids that we should be afraid of strangers and there's no education and there's no kind of like attempt to raise awareness that there could be a threat uh, from someone that you know and then if that happens who do you talk to and that's just like not a conversation that is had even now and definitely wasn't had in the 60s and so I I don't know I mean it's I thought it was a really interesting approach especially to set up the idea of like how memories are so complicated and like it's just science mm-hmm. that the more often you visit a memory the more often it tends to sort of change and shift a little bit mm-hmm. but i think w- with sicily what it comes down to is like she's a like a, a girl who she knows and we know by watching the movies she has no one to turn to who's going mm-hmm. to believe her and she's it's there's i mean we'll talk about kind of like the generational trauma aspects of this movie in a bit but mm-hmm she's well aware that there's really not anyone in her life except Eve who is going to receive this information in a way that is not blaming her. Um, and so I really, I don't know. I mean, it's so depressing to see it laid out that way. But I feel like this movie, the the points that Cicely's story touches are, it's so common. And it's like, you never see it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and and even if, like, best case scenario for Cicely at this time in history in particular, like, even if she had told her mother, her grandmother, her aunt, and everyone believed her, and everyone was like, we're here to support you, there were still no resources legally that she would have had because Mm -hmm. it's still such a patriarchal structure and you know particularly being a black family like dealing with the legal system in the 1960s like there would have just been so few options for her Mm -hmm. and I feel like it so where it's interesting seeing this from Eve's perspective especially because she's trying to understand where her sister is coming from But yeah, I don't know. It just it's like it's heartbreaking and shitty. And then also seeing that I didn't see the um, the letter from the dad coming through at the end of just abusers truly going to the grave, being just completely unable to see themselves for who they are and like to spend their entire lives deflecting, 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 Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's like her father knows that her word won't be believed over his where for most people and that he is, you know, he is the most powerful person in that family. And, and and, uh, he's a very
3: powerful member of that community, that town, like everyone looks up to him, everyone respects him. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end
0: where like Cicely says, I don't know what happened based on like conversations I've had with like psychologists and specialists in that field. It's like, she's very likely being completely honest there. Like Mm -hmm. this happened to her really recently Um, by someone that she loved and trusted. Uh, She doesn't have anyone to talk to about it. She doesn't really have many people around her who can help her understand. And there were no systems at this time to be able to talk to a a kid about something like that. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I don't know. It's like heartbreaking, but I thought it was like so well-written and so well-performed by by Mm -hmm. Megan Good.
4: So I have to say, and I I don't know if this is like... So when I, I watched this movie last night... And, I, and mm. I watched it with my partner, and then I reread the Wikipedia entry. Mm. I I had the same read on the ending that you did. My mm. partner was like, "Oh," his take was like, he was like, "Oh, it seems like she was confused about what happened, and that you know, it's inconclusive. It's like a like a I hate to use this phrase, but like a he said, she said." Wikipedia wow. did not help the the and the Wikipedia <sighs> entry on like the the like plot it says at the end Eve confronts Cicely and uses her second sight to discover what really happened it ends with the sisters holding hands gazing into the sunset Mm -hmm. and so I had the exact same reading that you did that like obviously the father wrote this letter you know Mm. being like I didn't do this how could you think I would do this and that we're supposed to by the end at least I finished that movie thinking something like that like the way that Cicely described it is the way that it happened
3: Mm -hmm. right? right I
4: think it's interesting that like there might be a read of the movie where there's where it's more ambiguous to me. I had the same reaction where I was like, Oh, well clearly, you know, clearly he did this. And it was funny because when that, so I have a, I have a very, a very like visceral reaction when sexual violence is part, like a plot device in a movie where I'm almost like, Mm. it's almost like disorienting and I kind of can't, it challenges so much of like what I have seen before. Mm -hmm. And so the beginning of the movie, go, they go to such great pains to show that the father is like so doting of a father, particularly to Sicily. And so it's one of those things where, you know, it's exactly what you were saying, Jamie. Where I was like, was he? Were the signs always there that he was an abuser? And mm. I just missed them. I'm I'm remembering them as charming, but actually they were creepy. Like there's that there's a scene early on when they're at that lavish party and he's dancing with yeah. Sicily, and he's like, mm-hmm. oh. You guys can't. My isn't my daughter a beautiful dancer? And scenes like that, where you're like, well, wait, it, it, was that indicative of something more sinister going on? And I'm and I'm mm-hmm. and I missed it because I was so caught up in this idea of like, what a good dad. I think this movie does a good job of challenging our understanding of memory and challenging mm-hmm. our understanding of like how we put a puzzle together to really show what's actually happening. Because I, I do feel like toward the end, it's not clear to me what I have seen, right? Is this, a, is this a doting father where like his daughter got mixed up or is this a sexual abuser? I think like the movie, and I think that when these things play out, I think abusers oftentimes can use that that same dynamic of like, well, you know, Everyone's going to think I'm just a good dad. Like, who's going to believe this? I think that it could kind of work on multiple levels, I guess is what I'm saying.
3: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. that's So that is my thing with this movie. It feels to me as though there is too much ambiguity. And I wish that ambiguity had been just more squashed by the end or something because especially... So I also read it that she is a survivor of abuse and he is an abuser. I think the three of us are all just the type of people who are inclined to believe survivors, believe women. Mm. That was our read. But both times I watched this movie, by the end, I was like, there's just, there are ways to interpret it differently than our read. And I think that's a dangerous thing, especially when dealing with a subject like child sex abuse, Mm. which is something that if you're going to tell a story about it, There shouldn't be ambiguity, because if there's ambiguity, that gives people a chance to say, I don't think it happened like that, or I don't believe them, or it's all a big misunderstanding. Especially because, like, we had seen that other scene earlier where Cicely kind of is like, no, Eve, that's not what you saw. You saw this version of the truth. And the fact that we have seen Cicely distort the truth before I think would also be grounds for an interpretation that she is distorting the truth this time too I don't think that's what happened or that was not my read of it but again there's so much ambiguity there and or at least for me there was that I can I can see different interpretations of it and then after like having all these thoughts I came upon an interview mm-hmm. with the cast as well as the director of this movie, Casey Lemons, that was like the 20th anniversary special. Mm. And when asked about that scene that plays out two different ways, one as an adult abusing a child. And then the, uh, the second version, which is a child having like a misguided i don't even know how to just what to call it exactly yeah but the second version this is what casey lemons said about this moment in the movie quote my intention was what if you explode this moment it's actually a very innocent relationship that they're having he loves his daughter she adores her father they adore each other and what if one night they crossed a line and were both completely traumatized but it spun everything else out of control so to me, it wasn't controversial. It was the story. It was strange for people to ask me, why do you have that angle there? Well, that's the story. Hmm. End quote. So even Casey Lemons. Oh. <laughs> that's
0: not helpful at all. That's a little evasive. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, I was like, okay. I was really hoping. I was like, oh, she's going to come through for us. She's going to be not. like, I didn't. Yeah. B- that's a little that, that, man that that's a, a little weird I mean whatever it's her movie yeah I can't I can't be like huh but I you know, we can sort of be like huh, huh? I <laughs> I guess it's it's I don't know I feel like a number of ways about it I do agree that any movie that depicts child sex abuse should be pretty clear about that Mm -hmm. like it's the easiest thing in the world to condemn like why wouldn't you more clearly condemn it Mm -hmm. I guess the argument that I can see for the I mean it's just like I it's I don't even I'm not even totally bothered by the fact that we are told that he doesn't see what he was doing as abuse that is how abusers feel all the time sure but it's just like going that one step further to make it clear how the movie feels i guess that the only count and this is like not even how i feel but i i do i don't know when movies end like this it almost not to bring doubt into the conversation <laughs> but similar to doubt 2008 mm-hmm. shout out Doubt. A, a story love that, that movie <laughs> it's iconic uh, and it does address child sex abuse and i i feel like it's like almost i don't know like if this is just a like kind of a a, a Movie thing that happens sometimes, but it's like a movie that's supposed to start a discussion where it's like Bridget, with you and your partner, you both interpreted the ending really differently. And then by discussing how you felt like differently about the ending, I don't know. Like, I do see value in like ambiguous endings that can start conversations. I just don't know that like this topic is the one to have the yeah, this much ambiguity with. Because right. I remember like leaving the theater seeing doubt my mom was like, so do you think he did it? Which is like, should not be the question you're asking. It's like, we need to be asking a more sophisticated question than that. Than, <laughs> like, right, yeah.
4: Well, just something I want to say is I think that like, you know, movies like Dowd and Youth Bayou, it, I mean, and Jamie, you can probably speak to this as well. It is exceedingly rare for, chi- for anybody, but especially children to lie about sexual violence, right? Like, yeah. it's just that, like, it's exceedingly rare. And I think that... Movies like *Doubt* and movies like *Eve's Bayou*, even though I I enjoy them both, I do think it makes it it presents a universe wherein maybe it's not rare, but we know it's rare. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I I might have been giving this movie maybe a little more credit than it totally deserves on that end. It's just I where I'm coming from is I've seen so many movies that have just absolutely missed the mark that don't even present the possibility that a child could be telling the truth about something like this Mm -hmm. that the fact that we are presented clearly with the fact that whatever happens that cecily is like extremely traumatized by it and that it like alters the course of her life you don't usually even get that much uh and and she, like, shuts down. She becomes, like, she is, like, displaying all these kind of, like, classic symptoms of, of, of a child who has suffered abuse and doesn't know who to turn to about it. Mm-hmm. And you don't even usually get that much, which is really, really bleak. Um, right. Yeah. And it's, I, I do think that there is some value in, in kind of reminding audiences that, like, abusers are going to, you know, generally defend themselves to the grave. And, mm-hmm. like but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, that's so interesting. I think, yeah, I'm in like a weird headspace for it, but I, <laughs> for me, I was like, oh, the ending is like, even based on like the images they sh- chose to show Eve's, um, you know, like vision at the mm-hmm. end. I thought for me, I was like, oh, I think that that corroborates and her reaction based off of that vision is like, it seemed like she was like, I believe you. I'm sorry. I came at you believing our like demonstrably
3: deceitful abusive father like it's so her reaction <sighs> but i th- like and i'd probably have to go back and rewatch that the vision that eve has at the very end but i feel like the like specific images that were chosen to be included in that vision still contribute to the ambiguity of it mm.
0: well at the end okay so at the end of the day here's how i feel about it. like this is like something that i've been thinking about a lot the last couple of weeks but um i think that we're like often like when we're talking about stories like this and and crimes like this the thing is like even if what samuel l jackson's character is saying is true he's still a child sex abuser like it doesn't matter do you know what i mean like i think Mm -hmm. that there's like in the case of like i'm just, like, fully lolita brain, But, like, in the case of Lolita, a lot of, like, how people have discredited her character is by saying, like, well, she had a crush on him. And so somehow, like, displaying any attempt to experiment with power as an adolescent means that you deserved whatever happened to you. When it's, like, at the end of the day, whether, you know, whether Cecily's presentation of the crime was true or whether Samuel L. Jackson's was... Either way, even if it was, you know, a a kid trying to experiment with power with an adult that they trust, Mm -hmm. it's still abuse for him to reciprocate for even a second and then to physically abuse her afterwards. So I but I but the problem is, I don't think that a lot of people understand that that right. even if even if like someone initiates with you that it the power imbalance is that large and it's incestuous and all these other things that it is still on the powerful adult and that is still who the so i yeah i don't know mm-hmm. i've just like i've talked to a lot of survivors who have felt guilt and have felt you know what happened to them was somehow less valid because they had been curious about what that experience would be like. And then when an adult took advantage of them, you know, it, it was abuse and it mm-hmm. confused them and it, you know, caused all these negative repercussions in their life. And so I, I feel like it, it sucks. Cause like no matter what happened in that scenario, even with Samuel L Jackson's character painting himself in the best possible light, he is still an abuser. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. And
4: I, I want to, add one thing to that so I completely agree with you mm-hmm. and I want to take it a bit further and this might I mean this might be colored by my own you know whatever I'm I'm bringing to this conversation but I agree with you and I also would say even if the moment between him and Cecily during the storm never happened you and I have already talked about the beginning of this movie where you know he at a party at his, in 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 his home with his wife and his children he takes a woman that is not his wife into a back room of his of his home to have sex with her right and his daughter mm-hmm. happens to be there and sees it mm-hmm. he takes his daughter on these house calls where he's very clearly there to have sex with women so mm-hmm. even if even if the thing with cecily never happened he is still a grown man introducing a very adult level of sexuality into the lives of his children who are very young and too young to understand what's going on mm-hmm. and so that's that is not how healthy mature adult engage with their children so Mm -mm. i i would say that he you know has cultivated a vibe in his household with his children where it's no wonder they're confused about sexuality i I would say that this movie wants him to be a lot more blameless than he is for some of the other behavior because Mm -hmm. i feel like of course like like his kids can't feel safe and healthy in an environment where he is irresponsibly sexualizing things in a way that that, that is far too advanced for them to understand because they're kids. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird because it's like I, I think that like we're like having like I, I now knowing that quote from from casey lemons i'm just like how much of this was intended it's yeah i know who even know? i mean it's like i i mean i guess i if we're being generous like you could interpret her saying that's just how the story goes of like you know have the conversation i'm not going to answer your questions for you which is like valid but i'm just like well y- you could denounce child sex abuse. that would be <laughs> that would be that would be, that would be a just you know even if it's just that, that would be great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like a yeah. We we all, and I think most listeners of this show, we believe Sicily that mm-hmm. right. You know, a gigantic trauma was caused, and even with the most support possible, it's still you know kind of a lifelong journey for many people to reckon with this kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say, like, no matter what happened in that situation, no matter whose account or somewhere in between is true, he's a child sex abuser. Like, period. End of story right Um, and there's and especially with children it's like there's there is no like perfect victim and yeah I think that like it's that's just like something that we even like you know like feminists and people who are like very inclined to believe survivors like need to work on is like the way that these like dynamics play out are not cleanly like I said no and then he did this like it is often very ambiguous and it comes mm-hmm. down to power dynamics and all these other things
3: so yeah. yeah sure and i wonder if like the intention was to explore like that version of the ambiguity but it i wish didn't... she told us i know <laughs> i just uh, i know and we also like you know just considering the context of the time that this movie came out today like so this is like 97 We're steeped in, you know, patriarchal standards, toxic masculinity, a rape culture that tends to believe the perpetrators of these crimes rather than the survivors.
0: This is our rape
3: culture. Every generation has their own rape culture. (laughs) This is our rape culture. So... So to to tackle a story that deals with this subject matter again, it has to be done so carefully, and that ambig. I really feel that that ambiguity needs to be removed if you're going to tackle it responsibly. And I just I can't. And it's like, sure, this is us, 2021. You know, post me too, but even like, oh God, that's what that that's this is why this I was like so nervous to talk about this movie, and that why I think it's so challenging. And, well, the other thing, too, is, um, the other thing that really bothers me about this movie is the abuse that we see happen on screen is us seeing actor Samuel L. Jackson, a full adult male... Mm kiss that's megan good on screen who was 15 or 16 at the time of shooting this movie underage yeah i just it 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 could have and should have been framed in such a way where this child actor did not have to kiss and be kissed by an adult man oh yeah
4: oh i don't like it like i was gonna say like i don't like it i think there are ways to even if you are trying to depict like a scene you're trying to depict on screen, an a, an underage girl and a grown man. You want you want to depict them together. There are ways to get around having a the actors actually portray this, right? Absolutely. Like there are exactly. ways to do it. I just don't like it. I mean, I don't know if you have ever seen that movie. Um, it's the it's the it's kind of billed as like a sequel to Do the Right Thing, the Spike Lee movie. I'm gonna blank the name. Oh, um. Red Hook Summer. Mm, uh, okay, it's a it's a like wild movie, but I do not recommend it. But there's a there <laughs> it, it also deals with childhood sexual violence. And something about that movie that really sticks with me is that the way that it's depicted it seems so it seems it's so egregiously like you know you you as a as a filmmaker you don't want to be depicting a child and an adult having like having a physical sexual like relations on screen and I feel like sometimes right sometimes films can get they're maybe they're trying to critique it or attack it or what have you but at the end of the day you don't want to be depicting it on screen at least in my book right I just Mm -hmm. think that there's yeah there's got to be a way to handle it differently I think
0: yes I agree yeah I I this is this episode is a long plug for Lolita podcast Uh, there's (laughs) there's like a whole there's a whole I I completely agree and there's uh, it's frustrating because what I think just knowing 1997 is when the second lolita movie came out so i'm very intimately familiar with what the laws were with child performers in mm. this specific year mm-hmm. um so first of all i i feel like it is always not even if you have like there's a number of stories of like movies that that well this is part of the reason that i was frustrated that there isn't a ton of information about the production of this movie or there wasn't as much as i would have liked on the subject matter Mm -hmm. i was interested in because at this time there was a law for movies that were shot in 1996 at least there was a new law introduced where uh there couldn't be any like you had to guarantee this movie went past a lawyer to be allowed to be released because there was a child pornography um act passed in 1996 that severely restricted what you could show on screen and it was like generally a pretty good law but then you find kind of all these um stories that are um People trying to skirt around this law so i would guess that in many of the shots that you don't see megan good's face that is not her that is an adult body double that Mm. seems to be the most popular workaround that said you do still see the actress underage megan good kiss samuel l jackson and i just two things is like first of all i no matter how much like there's sometimes like a director will be like well i had a you know a child psychologist on call so that if the actor didn't feel comfortable talking to me they could talk to this person it's just not worth the risk Mm -mm. at all like for anyone and it's like if you need evidence that that's true talk to almost any child actor who is Ben, like Natalie Portman has talked about it extensively. There's like a number of child actors who have done scenes like this who are like, I just didn't feel comfortable. like I felt like I felt like there's a hundred people around me whose jobs depend on me doing this. I and I was ten. What mm-hmm. was I gonna do? You know. And then on top of that, one of the 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 I guess the the one of the main notes I had for just like how this because I do think that for nineteen ninety seven Eves Bayou handles CSA in a movie like, Better than almost any other movie of this year or this series of years did, which sure. is not to say it's perfect, but it is definitely better because this is the year that Lolita came out, right? right. right.
4: Well, I actually have a question for you. I'm not to keep making you talk about Lolita, but so I've seen that 1997 version of Lolita several times. Mm. There are scenes where um, Jeremy Irons and Dominique Swain kiss. There's like a scene where like she's sitting on his lap. Is that a body double or is that actually her?
0: when there's it's it's a bunch of different stuff the amount of time and it's like it ultimately obviously like was not worth it right but yeah for them it was anytime she appeared to be nude it was a body double anytime that she kissed him they had to run it by a lawyer her parents were on set and there was a child psychologist on set Hmm. anytime she sat on his lap there was a pillow between them so there are like more measures than would be taken even a decade before but it's still not enough Going off of that, I had a conversation with a friend of this podcast, Eva Vives, mm-hmm. who is a survivor and has, you know, in- incorporated just kind of the lasting effects of CSA into a lot of her work. Mm-hmm. And she pointed out, and it's totally true that um in stories about CSA, the movies and projects that tend to be more recognized are movies and projects that explicitly show the abuse. And she feels strongly that that is, like, a very telling bias and also something that just doesn't need to happen. Like you can show the effects of CSA without showing it. And that's even true for this movie. You could not have those scenes and still have that plot point be effective, right? Like you Mm -hmm. don't need to show it. But the movies that are most successful that deal with this topic – always 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 show it and the movies that just show the effects of it are more likely to kind of get swept under the rug so that's like another
4: that's, that's disc- I mean like it's so, it's so exploitative yeah and yeah. I think it really it, it I mean I think we should be asking the question whether or not physical depictions of childhood sexual violence were making that profitable and why because it, it sounds like from what you just said it sounds like we
0: are we are, and it's it's frustrating because it's like I don't know. It's there. It's a really complicated question to even broach because I don't know. I wasn't able to find out if if uh, Casey Lemons was a survivor of this kind of abuse herself, but I know of like several survivors of abuse who have made movies about CSA that show, to an extent. What that abuse is, whether it's in montage or whatever. And so it's like, I don't even really feel comfortable being like, no one can do it. I think mm-hmm. that when you're when you have a child actor, you, it's kind of unconscionable to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like, I don't know. I mean, it's like there was that um, there was like a really popular HBO movie a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was called the Act. Uh, or mm. is, is that what it was? It was by mm. Jennifer Fox and it was starring Laura, Laura Dern and it was about uh, Jennifer Fox's childhood sexual abuse and it actually, it reminded me a lot of Eve's bio to the part where I'm certain that she has seen it (laughs) where it is about her revisiting her child's sexual abuse and revisiting the memories and the more she talks to people in her life from that time the more the memories kind of change and shape and end up kind of landing on what she believes the truth is and Mm -hmm. yeah sorry it's the tale it's not the act oh Um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah Which is like uh, you, uh, I feel complicated about it. That's not what the episode is about, but it is it it ha- takes on similar stuff where it shows you the abuse in a way that just uh it's it's weird because it's like I don't want to tell a survivor like you shouldn't have done this, but in terms of like having a child actor in that scene, I don't think that mm. they should have like yeah. it's extremely complicated, but uh, I personally like I, I personally think that you could. If I could change stuff about Eve's Bayou, I would get rid of the physical depiction of those scenes. Yes. And I think that, honestly, it could be more impactful to hear the child and the abuser describe it in their own words. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. You can have the same effect without having to show that. Mm-hmm. And just kind of make it a little clearer, Kate, like you were saying, like you were both saying at the yeah. end, that no matter whose recollection is corrected she is a survivor of abuse and that that's like something she's going to need to you know continue to, to deal with throughout her entire life mm-hmm.
3: well from that same interview with the cast and some of the crew Megan Good spoke about like these specific moments in the movie mm-hmm. and here's what she had to say again the actor who plays Sicily mm-hmm. says quote we had to shoot it probably 15 times. Oh, so, oh, God. We had to shoot my perspective, his perspective, and then the actual perspective of what really happened. Now, I'm going to pause from the quote here for a moment because it is not specific. What does she mean by that?
0: Oh, God. It is not
3: specific what the, quote, actual perspective of what really happened is. They're playing around with us. Yeah. I don't like
0: it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Because it's possible that that was even cut from the movie. Like whatever she's talking about might not Mm -hmm. even appear. Because I know there's like a director's
3: cut of this movie too. That's like a little different. I'm not sure. But um, so here's the rest of the quote. I remember the day before the scene, everyone was so anxious. You okay? You okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Sam was as equally nervous That was kind of the defining moment. That's the moment that brought the movie together and what it was based on. I felt a huge responsibility to do a good job, but I was definitely nerve wracked for sure. End quote. That is so just to hear that, like they had to shoot it so many times. Everyone was feeling very uneasy about it. Like those are indications that like, don't fucking put it in the movie. Yeah.
4: And it really, it really speaks to what you were just talking about, Jamie, about, like Natalie Portman saying, you know, so many people's jobs and so much money depends on me just being able to do this. And I, maybe I didn't want to do it, but, like, I just had to I just had to do it, right? I, I don't think that we should be putting children in positions who – they're already so vulnerable. Putting them in positions where they feel this way and they feel an immense – like, the fact that Megan Good said she felt pressure to get it right, that just mm-hmm, kind of breaks my right. heart.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's so, – uh, and it's just uh, – it, like – drives me like she's not even the only child actor that had to deal with this exact issue this calendar year (laughs) like that is so absurd that it's like there are just young teens and kids being put in this position in the first place where like yeah it's it's an unfair ask it's also like the fact that it's also a financial transaction on top Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. where so even like You know, it's like if you have even one parent who's kind of acting in bad faith and doesn't want to rock the boat and wants to make sure that the check is gotten, then it's not even a guarantee that, like, I mean, this movie proves not all parents are good. And, like, (laughs) and certainly, you know, child actors' parents have a very uh, Mm sordid record of acting in the best interest of their children. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even necessarily trust, like a 14 or 15 year old's mother to say like no she can do it like that may not be true like or or, Mm -hmm. you know there's can and there's should and I don't know that that quote reminds me a lot of yeah the actor who played Lolita this this girl Dominique Swain that was like a very similar thing of like Yeah, it was really nerve-wracking and everyone was really nervous and, like, Jeremy Irons was, like, crying during the scene and just everyone was really stressed out about it and I just did my best because I knew I had to do it and, like, Mm. everyone... I don't know. I just... I think that there are ways to tell these stories because they're stories worth being told, but in live action, it's not worth the risk towards the underage performer, Mm -hmm. period. Like, I feel like there's... Not to, like hand it to you know tarantino or anything but like how in kill bill like the most traumatic scene towards a kid happens in animation instead Mm. of making it happen you know instead of putting a child actor through the grueling brutal violent sexual violence that takes place in that scene i feel like if you really 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 as a director feel that this needs to be shown you have to work around like you you can't make a kid do it because Mm -hmm. you think it needs to be done find another way
4: and I think there are like like you just said there's so many ways around it I've seen so I've seen it done listen there are ways to do it where it's like no one is going to be confused that you're watching a scene that's meant to be about childhood sexual assault or something right there are so many ways around it and I just think like just depicting it on screen I think is the least imaginative when there are so many different totally. ways. Like if you're a storyteller, I, I always feel there's a, there's a way to show something in a way that's respectful. And especially for something that is, that is as fraught and sensitive as this topic. Mm-hmm. You, you got, you got, you have to like be willing to work to find that solution.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish, I wish that Casey Lemons had said more on, on that. Cause it's like, I do think that this is like one of the better told CSA stories of this decade. And it still makes a series of very common missteps that end up, you know, kind of putting definitely putting a child actor in danger and under undue pressure for a kid. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's, I don't know. I think like it's, it's fucking hard. Like I, it's, I, 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 I'm glad that a story like this was, e- was being attempted to be told, but it's sure. certainly not told perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yes.
4: I mean, it's, it's challenging.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, there's so few, like, I can't really think of many movies that i like, yeah, nailed it. Like the, uh, the closest, like this is, this, like you couldn't think of a more different movie, but like one of the only movies that I feel like was really praise was heaped upon it and it had a lot to do with these themes but didn't show abuse is like spotlight like that's one of the only movies that is centrally involves child sexual abuse and doesn't show it and I guess doubt does it too but uh the central question around doubt is like did it happen when it's like that's not the question (laughs) that's not the question at least in spotlight it's like Yeah, it obviously happened. It and happened, you're like, but we
3: don't need to show it on screen. Yeah. But rest assured that it definitely happened. And that works. I am glad that movies like that exist. Yeah, and it
0: can be like effective and you can come out, you know, if it's framed to you a certain way, you can even have characters in the story that doubt the truth of what happened and take you through like the journey of like discovering, "Oh, like I should have just believed these" survivors the entire time and Mm -hmm. like it can be done
3: right because that's part of the narrative of like a lot of people who are survivors of abuse they face other people not believing them or they face their own like did this happen how did it happen it all happened so quickly i don't exactly know the like especially when you live in a culture that is inclined to not believe you and to kind of gaslight you into alternate versions of reality like that's part of many survivors experience but again that's why it has to be handled so responsibly and so carefully if you're going to tell a story about it yeah Yeah.
0: it's weird it's weird because i feel like they're outside of the fact that i mean we all agree that the actual scenes should not have been shot but it's like to a a 2021 viewer who is inclined to believe survivors i feel like It's all there, but it's but for people who are not inclined to believe survivors, and then also just like straight up, I I can't really put myself in the mindset of like an adult in 1997. I don't. I mean, I'm curious of like what the conversations were in 1997 Mm -hmm. because I'm like, you know, they were certainly different, and I and I and I bet that there were a lot of people that left with like, well, you know, I love Samuel L. Jackson, so shrug like you right, know right. it's like just unclear yeah yeah especially when you cast like huge really famous actors in roles like that i feel like audiences are very often like i love sam jackson i love jeremy irons so i guess no harm no foul like mm-hmm. yeah yeah
4: and i i honestly like i almost feel like i'm bringing a lot of my own baggage into this movie but you know this like the scene in the movie where moselle uh I'm blanking her name, Lynn Whitfield, the mom and the grandmother are all talking, and it's clear that they're, they're having a very adult conversation about infidelity. And mm-hmm. uh, Samuel L. Jackson comes home and, and Cicely is like, you need to go down to the bar because the the the, the women are mad, mad. Like, get out of the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, again sort of this idea of like I think Samuel L. Jackson's presence in their household was very disruptive to the to the young to the girls, to his young daughters. I think that like he mm-hmm. and brought his sexuality into his home in a way that made it made it his children's business. It made it was like on their minds, and I think you know it, it's clear to me that there's a, a lot of ambiguity in the universe of the film. But there's a scene in the film that I feel like for me is for, is kind of like case closed. After he is shot and they have his funeral, there's this scene where the mom and all the kids are in bed together. And it's sort of almost this like picturesque, like a frame. And it seems to me like Samuel L. Jackson was the cause of a lot of disruption in their household. Now that Mm -hmm. he is dead, their household is one of like stability and, and like they're on this process of becoming healthier and healing. And so like, it's like, obviously, you know, Eve is, is sad that her father is dead. And like the funeral scene is very, is very rough, but it 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 seems to me that the universe of the film is suggesting that his presence being removed from their, their domestic life is what gives them the ability to like have this kind of chance at a little more stability and a little more like, yeah you know, a little more like, uh, I don't even know the word for it. Like domestic, just not peace. having, yeah, peace. Yeah, true.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's what the, it's what the uh, fortune teller says too. She says, just wait right. of three years and you'll be happy. And... Right. You'll have peace. Yeah. That's why
0: I am like, uh, I am frustrated and kind of like it to some extent, like inclined to be like, it's all there in the writing. And it's like, yeah. if you didn't see it, you you didn't see it, you know, but it's like, you know, but in 1997, a lot of audience members didn't see it. If there's still people in 2021 that are like, I don't know, but I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. It gets so tricky because you, I, I just don't like, I feel like everything you need to know is in the story, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like some of it is pretty subtle. Some of it you need to like really be paying attention or some of it you just need to kind of have like, I don't know, like a particular perspective that is going to believe the children because I feel like if you can get yourself into that mindset, all the information you need is there. But the fact that, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's... You can't put it entirely on the artist to be like, you have to spoon feed to every male audience viewer that this is a bad thing. Like, I it sucks that it's like, that that is still kind of a reality. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wish that we could make more subtle films about topics like this, but it's just such an under discussed issue that, People don't fucking get it. And it's like you need movies like fucking spotlight where it's literally taking the little applesauce and putting it in your mouth of like, <laughs> this is a crime, this is bad, eat your food, don't do crimes. You know, like don't do crimes. it's just <laughs> so there's no like uh like in the way that there for for other issues there has been more, you know, room for subtlety in art Mm -hmm. there isn't on this issue and I think that that you know sucks for artists who have experienced it and want to speak to it in their art like it kind of sucks it's like if the worst thing you've ever been through you want to make some sort of artistic expression of that and then you're like but I have to make it really fucking obvious right or people are gonna think I'm endorsing the worst thing that's ever happened to me like it's such a catch-22 of Mm -hmm. the like (laughs) oh i know it's really frustrating it's really frustrating like i don't think it's necessarily like i i I think you can hold uh casey lemons personally accountable for allowing that scene to be shot Mm -hmm. and that that is like ultimately on her but in terms of like how people misinterpret her work when all the answers are there Mm -hmm. like I mean, it's like, I I think that it is like, it would be better served if it were made extremely clear. But I also don't want to be like, and Casey Lemons is wrong mm-hmm. for sure. not having done that, because it's like, she clearly knows, you know, like, she gave us all the, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. what, a, what was that? What was that ridiculous movie that was like, Mr. Policeman, I gave you all the clues. That's literally <laughs> yes! Casey Lemons in this script, like, She gave you all the clues. You did not solve the case, and that is
3: on society. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Like, yeah. Um, Uh, Well, how about this? Let's take a quick break (laughs) and really collect ourselves, and, and then we'll come back for more.
0: Bean Dad, the dress. And we're back. Uh, all right, what? <laughs> where shall we pivot? Uh, 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 I know. I feel
4: poor, Jamie. It is like all childhood, all talking about childhood sexual assault all the time for you now, right?
0: <laughs> it is uh, my new area of expertise. I hate it, uh, wow. but but there's so much else to talk about with this movie as well. Yes. Uh, where should we start?
3: Well, first of all. One thing that is very much worth noting is that this is a coming-of-age story for a Black girl, which is something that we almost never see in Hollywood cinema. Mm -hmm. It is a kind of narrative arc that is reserved almost exclusively for white children. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the fact that uh, a Black girl is the focus is awesome. That it is a story fraught with such, like turmoil and trauma is uh, I guess what I'm saying is I would love to see more coming of age stories about black indigenous people of color that are less steeped in so much trauma and are focused on more you know some of the more joyous aspects of coming of age but even so um, this is kind of a monumental film in that it is one of the f- few coming of age stories uh, about a black girl and black children. so
4: yeah, and and I think like, you know, we've talked a lot about some of the heavier aspects of this film, but there are, you know, the the film it's not it's not entirely heavy, right? Like Eve has a a, a good relationship with her sister and brother. You get to see like there are some scenes of Cicely and Eve interacting—that I that I really liked because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you get you get to see like the tenderness of girlhood when she puts the snake on her brother Poe's <laughs> pillow. I'm like God. you get to see the like you know mischievousness with pl- Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. you know I. There there were parts of it that I thought were nice to be depicted. Also, it's like, it. I mean, I'm a sucker for like Louisiana kind of that like like languid like you know oh like mm-hmm. the bayou and the and the weeping willows like it's quite a um, picturesque movie and, like, it it depicts the outdoors in a really beautiful way and, like, we -hmm. we don't get a lot of movies where it's about black girlhood on the backdrop of outdoor beauty. That's something that, like, Mm -hmm. I love and you don't get a lot of. Um, So this movie, there is a lot of, like, in in addition to the heavier aspects of it that we've talked about, there is some, like, joy, there is some, like, True. beauty, you know, and I think it really does a nice job of depicting some elements of, of Black girlhood that we don't necessarily get to see explored on screen very often.
3: For sure. Yeah, yeah There, I, the scenes that, like, are scenes of levity I love and are probably my favorite scenes in the movie, especially that kind of chunk where they're all cooped up in the house and everyone's just, like playing pranks on each other Mm -hmm. or um again that scene where eve is just sort of lashing out and yelling at everyone and yeah like you said i mean you see these really interesting relationships between women and girls you see this relationship between the two sisters you see mother-daughter relationships uh you see eve and her aunt moselle all these female relationships being explored Again, in a way that, like, most movies don't bother.
0: Yeah. And with Eve Eve specifically, I I mean, she's just, like, a really cool character. I feel like it's, like, people very, I don't know, writers really often kind of miss the mark on, like, making a highly motivated and, like, fun child character who is also still clearly constricted by the limits that childhood imposes on you and I feel like Mm. the way that Casey Lemons writes Eve really like toes that line in a cool way because it's like Eve honestly like when I first read the kind of synopsis of this movie I thought this whole movie was going to be like Eve being successfully gaslit by her family that this never happened and I was pleasantly surprised that she for the most part it's like she retains her truth of what happened Mm -hmm. pretty consistently and she is like frustrated and confused that the people in her life are trying to tell her it didn't happen like her dad immediately is like don't worry that was nothing that was nothing and then she goes to Sicily which I honestly read of like Sicily probably know. like I don't know I, I I think with some of Sicily's storylines I plugged myself into like big sister mode and thought like oh, you know, if my little brother came to me saying that he had seen, you know, my dad doing something awful that I already knew about, I probably would, you know, at that age would have like defaulted to be like, no, 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 don't worry because you don't want your younger sibling to take on the same like psychic right. weight mm-hmm. of how fucked up your parents are right. that you do. And so it's like, but Eve still knows pretty consistently. Like she tells the same story every time. She's like, and it's more like, I know what I saw, but everyone keeps telling me it's not true. And the question is more like, why is that? As opposed to like, I must be wrong. Like, I, I like yeah. how confident she is mm-hmm. in what she saw. And it's like more navigating her confusion of like, why are people avoiding this uncomfortable Truth, right?
4: Yeah, and she doesn't avoid it. As soon as Cicely tells yeah. her, she's like, "Let's kill Dad!" Like, she <laughs> like, she like, let's like, straight
3: up kill him.
4: <laughs> Yo, we gotta kill <laughs> him. <It's> like, amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I think importantly, you know, Cicely makes up that story of like, oh, you know, uh, sh- the the woman fell into Dad and they were laughing, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then later, she's like, "I, I." As soon as you said it, I believed you. You yeah. know, so right. you know, it's it's clear that like. You know, Sicily deep down knows she's telling the truth, and really, it is it is Eve's unfaltering ability to see the truth and speak the truth throughout the movie. And and I think that you're right; it's important to note that she doesn't falter. That she's like, no, I know what I saw. I know what's going on. I'm going to continue to speak on it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That that which kind of like brings to this the like the cycle of like gaslighting that. It's, I don't know, like the, yeah, the cycle of gaslighting that takes place with the women in this family and kind of how that is structured, it like felt somewhat, familiar to me in a lot of ways especially I mean this is taking place in the 60s right so Mm -hmm. we are to sort of assume that her mother Roz like there's not a ton of career options there's not a you know a lot of welcomeness to the idea of being divorced of being a single parent and like her autonomy is fairly limited by being married to this powerful man in the community and she seems to be very aware of that um Mm -hmm. And so it it like broke my heart at all these different points in the movie to see these relationships between women kind of be like, I don't know, like passing on this generational guilt and this generational trauma onto yeah. each other because it's like, I don't, uh, I don't know. I was like trying to think of how to phrase this correctly, but I feel like. At times, like, Roz is a shitty parent at a bunch of different points. She (laughs) locks her kids in the house for no reason, really. Mm -hmm. When Eve confronts her with the truth, she can't handle it. And so instead, she punishes her kids who are trying to understand what's going on in their own household. But you know that it's coming from this place of deep trauma that she holds. And instead of, I don't know, it's just so hopeless in some ways because it's like mm-hmm. well who could Roz turn to that could really help her like she knows that she doesn't really have anyone who can help her and so instead like she's kind of to some extent protect that she I think she thinks she's protecting her kids but in a lot of ways she's like taking it out on her kids it's yeah. just ugh.
4: I just really see the ways in this movie that the adults are making their traumas their hang-ups their issues they're just putting them on their kids and they're really things that are just too heavy for their kids because they're kids
3: right 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 there's that scene too where Roz and Moselle are like taking a stroll and then they like come up on that market but before that Roz is like complaining like confiding in Moselle about her like crumbling marriage and how you know her husband who's unfaithful and Moselle's just like well, um just wait around and you know one day he'll finally see what he already has and he'll stop chasing for it and it's like that's not good advice. But I in seeing <laughs> that like I also believe that Moselle knows that's
0: not true. Like mm-hmm. the, I don't know, it's I guess maybe like this was my interpret, but it just felt like most of the like the grown women in this movie were all pretty aware that like Lewis was not a good father or a good husband he was just a good provider and that mm-hmm. that was like there wasn't much they could do about it and like it's just uh I don't know it made me so sad and and the relationship between Cicely and Roz as well like I feel like speaks a lot to why Cicely reacts the way she does in some moments where like her attempts to rebel and challenge her her mom's pretty, like, irrational ways of of dealing with her kids are met with, like, violence and, like, threats. Like, she is, like, hit by her mom. And then when it seems like Roz might be trying to kind of, like, reconcile with her, she's like, I understand. Like, I see a lot of myself in you. But if you do something like that again, you're fucked. And it's like, well, then why would Cicely feel comfortable going to her mother with this abuse that she experienced, like her mother's kind of made it clear that she's not open to hearing it. Like she's mm-hmm. very closed off and you understand why too. So it's just like, Oh, it's, it's, yeah.
4: Yeah. There's the scene when Raz slaps Cicely, you know, something that I think is important to note is that Cicely, the, you know, Roz has had all the kids trapped in the house, fucking version suicide style. Like they can't leave. <laughs> Literally. And yeah. that's like what I was thinking the whole time. <laughs> oh I was like, this God. is reminding me of the version suicides. It really um, is. Yeah. It's, it's it's similar. There's some there's some yeah. interesting you know. And also I was like, oh, like shout out to that quarantine life. I know all about it. <laughs> like, right. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But so so when Sicily goes to the hairdresser. This is just something that like I picked up on as a like black girl who was raised by a black mom. you know, in the whole movie, Sicily has very long hair and when she goes to the beauty parlor she comes back and her hair has been cut. and so I know that like that like my mom and I have that exact same argument where I like I think it is a symbol of a certain kind of black girlhood to have like long straight hair past your shoulders and Sicily being like, you know i'm a I'm a I'm asserting my own body autonomy, I'm going to cut my hair. When she takes off that rain hood and her mom sees that her hair has been cut, mm-hmm. that's like a that's like a, a shift, right? She's like, you know, this girl thinks she's grown. And I think like that is another part of the dynamic I think is there between them where Cicely is really trying to figure out what it means for her to be like, go from girlhood to like young womanhood. And her mom is clearly... Not able to shepherd her over that threshold in a way that you would want any. You would want your mom to be. It's like we were saying, like, Mm -hmm. like her mom is not able to be there for her, not not open to hearing what she has to say. And I Mm -hmm. think that, yeah, it's not surprising to me that Cicely would be completely not able to open up to her mom about what's actually going on in her life because her mom has just made it clear that what's important to her is not how her kid is doing what her kids needs. It's about kind of trying to maintain some sense of order in this increasingly chaotic household. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And the way that like, I I don't know. I thought that this was like, this was like such a story of like women and girls processing guilt and Mm. like taking on so much guilt for things that it's like, no 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 like there's, there's so many moments in the, and i feel like it happens with by the end it happens to eve as well but it's like you know moselle is really guilt-ridden for feeling that she is responsible for the death of her first husband when it's like she did not pull three the husbands, trigger right three uh, <laughs> yeah but i'm talking about the, specifically the one that got shot in the chest oh sure 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 but uh, Like she, yeah, she's kind of taken on this guilt and is like, I am a murderer. When it's like, it is not ideal to cheat on your spouse, but that does not make you responsible for their murder. You know what I mean? And like, there's that guilt. We see Roz take on guilt when Cicely becomes more withdrawn and is like, Is it because Mm -hmm. I did this? I did this. And in that way, she's kind of right because she did hit her daughter. But like, it's just like, you see every woman and girl in this story to some degree whether they're right to be doing it or not just take on a massive amount of guilt and you don't see any man in this story no even it, like Mm-mm. samuel l jackson's whole narrative is his ability to deflect guilt and deflect the idea that he could do something wrong right. where meanwhile he's surrounded by women who are taking on that guilt for him and then also taking on additional guilt for things that they they have nothing to do with their own actions yes
4: Mm -hmm. like that one guy shoots samuel l jackson that's a friend of his you never like he like you just never hear from him again it's like oh yeah i (laughs) I shot him (laughs) and killed him like they don't even like explore it that's why i'm really happy that at the end moselle who has taken on all this guilt she meets her like long haired jeans wearing -wearing, painter lover (laughs) who like I'm just assuming all they're doing is fucking and she's getting portraits of herself painted and like by the end she's like yeah I'm marrying him I don't care what that that old witch said I'm going to marry him and like maybe we'll die together like I'm happy that by the end of the movie she's had a trajectory where she's like yeah I can continue to I am deserving of love I can continue to to, to seek out love and marry uh, marry a man who loves me you know and like spend the rest of my days like getting my portrait
0: painted <laughs> right I love that she like chooses joy at the end and like almost, I don't know. I kind of, I would really be curious of like what Casey Lemons thought about kind of that plot point. But I felt like that's almost like a severing of this like quote unquote curse that it seems Mm -hmm. like is haunting this family when it's like, no, it's, she's going to assert what she wants. She's going to like, that's nice. I want, I want Mm -hmm. the best for her and I thought it was really interesting with Moselle as well that I don't know she's like first of all like the performance by Debbie Morgan is like it's so good (laughs) Mm -hmm. but on top of that like where I thought it was interesting that she is you know Samuel L. Jackson's sister and to watch her it felt very like of this time that she is like kind of defensive about him like if something comes up with him whether it's mm-hmm. from Roz whether it's from Eve whether it's from Sicily, she's always like we're not talking about that I can even believe you and we're not talking about that but then you find out at the end of the movie you know it's not enough right because she should be taking <laughs> these women who she loves seriously and at their word over her brother who she we know knows is a- an abusive person mm-hmm. how much power she has to stop it is kind of up for question but like she could. I I just thought it was interesting at the end that the movie kind of goes out of its way to tell you that there was a confrontation between them that where where Moselle said explicitly like how could you have done this to my niece mm-hmm. what the fuck it, like it's clear that they came to blows about this and mm-hmm. that Moselle did believe Cicely yeah. the entire time and that like I don't know it's, it's just like again it just like felt familiar in a really frustrating way of like just how imperfectly and and frustrating these things can fall out where you can like talk to someone and be like I don't think that person believed me when in fact they may have but they didn't know how to deal with it and so then they go to yell at someone else and just like this whole I don't know the way that like trauma can be passed on through this whole chain of events and interactions and like it's all done so imperfectly. And I don't know, it's just all so messy. Mm -hmm. But you also sort of at least can understand where most people are coming from, even if you disagree, like, it's a lot.
4: But like, isn't that how it is? Like, yeah, I mean, that that quote that that Caitlin opened the episode with is like, so is so spot on. Like, isn't that how it is? Like, there are so many things from my childhood where I'm like, Oh, like, this thing happened. And, you know, I didn't I didn't like it, but, you know, I can understand where they're coming. I can understand why she did this. She was trying to protect me, whatever. Like, I think that when you go back and you deconstruct your memories that that were so complicated and fraught, I think that it's always like this sort of frustrating and unsatisfying, but, an, but also kind of you can sort of see where they're coming from, if, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's like... <sighs> I don't know. i it's like I definitely feel that way about my parents a lot of the time of like God, I the execution was extraordinarily bad, but I can like <laughs> acknowledge what they were going through while they were making those decisions and still think they were wrong for a, B, and C, and just like that, especially the the fact that this movie. You know, it takes place in the 1960s where like the power dynamics are even huger and Mm -hmm. like the disparity of how much power these women would have had to get away from this guy. It seems like that they're, you know, it's the only reason that Moselle is kind of like making her own living is because she doesn't have another option.
3: Mm -hmm. (sighs) Hmm. Well, that might bring us to a quick discussion on the way voodoo is represented in the movie. Mm. So uh, we talked about this on our Princess and the Frog episode about how voodoo is often very wildly misrepresented in Hollywood and that really extends to any African diaspora religion but you know voodoo is the one that is most popularly depicted in Hollywood the representation usually paints these religions as being just like rooted in evil. It's like dark magic. There's violence and the demonization of these religions has everything to do with racism. So I was like, I was curious about just like how voodoo in this movie is represented because it's a pretty big component of the story. Mm -hmm. We see practice. I don't know how authentic Um, the practices of voodoo are. uh, I couldn't find any writing on how well Louisiana voodoo is represented specifically in this film, and I don't know enough about the religion to comment on it. But I did read that Casey Lemon's said she didn't really do any research on voodoo before writing the movie and it should. <laughs> I was like it does I was just like yeah
0: I guess that this is like all it does seem kind of like off the top of your head like rehashing of things that we've seen of like how how voodoo has been represented in other movies right yeah I honestly didn't do a ton of research on this end and kind of went in with the assumption that because I looked into like Casey Lemons is like back history of like okay so I can't find any reason that she would know and then I was like I'm just assuming that it's wrong every time you see like voodoo (laughs) represented in American movies I just kind of am like I'm assuming this is way off but I don't know Mm -hmm.
4: I I feel the same way I mean I couldn't tell you if this is like an authentic depiction of Louisiana voodoo I'm going to assume not because it was 1997 and I think (laughs) that like you know there are certain like visual signifiers that I think are there that I'm like, oh yeah, she probably, and like, no offense to her. She probably was just like, yeah, put the, the like voodoo practitioner in a certain outfit and call it a day. Right. Like there's Mm -hmm. that scene where she's got her face painted white. Like, I think she was like, I want to have some, Clear visual markers so that people are like, "Yep, this is voodoo happening." I don't know that I don't know that I would say that she went too deep into it. That's my read.
3: <laughs> yeah, I would say at the very least there are some things that the movie manages to avoid that uh, we've seen play out in other movies where, like Eve goes to Elzora and she's expecting in return a voodoo doll, and mm-hmm. Elzora is like, "No, that's not." A thing. I did, a, did another thing to try to kill your father, but not a doll because like the voodoo doll is not an actual thing in the real voodoo religion, or at least not the way that is right. it, the way we see voodoo dolls in Hollywood. That's not accurate. And I at least appreciate that the way that Samuel L. Jackson's character dies is because he gets shot by a man who was pretty Explicitly or implicitly told that his wife was cheating on him and not because like voodoo killed him, right? So at least the movie avoids those types of things, but it's just
0: that Eve thinks that that's what happened. Like, there, mm-hmm. I don't even, yeah, I was confused. I was like, for a second, I like almost got galaxy brain about it because I thought, you know, it's like, okay, maybe it's like, because you know, like. There's a lot of people who present as like, oh, you know, like I am a psychic and they're actually not. And they're kind of just like being touristy i was like maybe Mm -hmm. that's what elzora is supposed to be is kind of like because that's what uh moselle says is like oh she's Mm -hmm. just like a tourist like she comes to the market yeah you know she's a sideshow attraction because we see that misrepresentation all the time kind of at any large carnival event Mm -hmm. of like this fraud but then we're kind of led to believe that she is not a fraud. Right, But then also, I guess that was the question I left the movie with. I'm like, was she a fraud or not? Because there were certain elements of her that kind of reminded me of like, that scene in The Wizard of Oz, where the wizard is going through Dorothy's basket while her thing is closed. Like, sometimes I was getting that vibe. But then other times I was like, is she a fraud? Like, I... I don't mm. know, I don't know because she gets it right with Roz, right? She's like, wait a wait a while. but yeah. I guess she doesn't need to wait three years, does she like she well, maybe it
3: takes three years for them to like just fully recover or like heal from their grief. I just and- yeah. <laughs> it, I it's like
0: it's clear to us that Moselle and Eve's like. I don't even know like their ability to see the future is authentic and that mm-hmm. is like in text true but I still was not clear on whether El Zora was legit or not I wasn't well, sure
4: let's also keep in mind that El Zora charges Eve $20 to <laughs> kill I a know. man <laughs> like, okay. $20 that's I mean come on like in <laughs> 1960s money Jeez. I actually looked it up the the inflation it will be 216 dollars thereabouts today So
0: oh, that's the God. price to kill a man <laughs> she grifted a child like
4: <laughs> and yeah what are the what are the ethics of her like accepting money from a literal child to
0: kill a man like
4: i just have a lot of Not, questions
3: it's it's murky it's
4: murky
0: <laughs> i would be curious yeah i'd be curious if like listeners who have seen this movie what your impression was because by the end i sort of felt like She's the Wizard of Oz. Like she Mm -hmm. only because the people who can genuinely see into the future to some extent, we are like told visually explicitly that that is true. And you don't ever get that for Elzora. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I know that definitely the presentation of Voodoo is like off in this movie it's definitely not like a faithful you know thing but but i wasn't sure if like we were supposed to go through this being like oh you know elzora is is kind of like doing this touristy act that eve believes because she's a kid you know right. i don't know mm-hmm. she
3: gave this woman 200 dollars oh my god <laughs> stressful uh, but yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear from any listeners who have a more in-depth understanding of actual voodoo practices. Just how you feel about this movie's depiction of voodoo? Yeah. Um, does anyone have any other thoughts on the movie?
0: Uh, I wanted to. I had, I had a few things. I wanted to just kind of shout out the uh, team behind this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not. I mean, it it goes without saying that. Black women writing and directing their own movies is such a huge i mean especially in 1997 it just was not happening very much and so in terms of like the background of this movie you will not be surprised it's like the uh i feel like and this is true with female directors kind of generally you get a lot of that actor to director pipeline because casey lemons Mm -hmm. was already an established director and i feel like you mean established actor Oh, sorry, an established actor. Yeah. And then she doesn't direct her first movie to her late 30s. And I can think of like five women off the top of my head who that's true for right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Um, And how like that is kind of it seems like the most not to say I mean, there's plenty of female directors who that is not the case for. But it seems like the most efficient current pipeline for female directors. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh Casey Lemons comes from. And then she makes like an amazing but she was like an established
3: actor who started writing and directing because she was dissatisfied with the roles she was getting as an actor. These like right. very, you know, like, oh, I'm the black best friend or I'm just like this kind of like sidelined character. And so she just took it upon herself to start writing stories from her own perspective
0: which is like amazing and i also every time i see the actor to director pipeline i'm like why can't they why can't women just be directors right why is that pipeline not available that said i'm very glad that casey Lemons was able to create All these like amazing meaty roles that she wasn't able to play originally. We also have a few different kind of rarities um, behind the scenes, which Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes we get great representation in front of the camera, and then behind it's like more white guys. Uh, This we have a. um, a female cinematographer, mm-hmm. Amy Vincent, who you've almost certainly seen a lot of her work. She did two of my favorite youth movies. She also did Jawbreaker and the Lemony mm-hmm. Snicket movie. But Ooh, she's I like
4: I love Jawbreaker. Y'all, <laughs> right? it's so good.
0: We've got to cover Jawbreaker yeah, sometimes. She's done, do. she's done, she's done a lot more. Like she's like, I think one of kind of the iconic female cinematographers. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done a whole lot. She did I Heart Huckabees, if you care, I guess. Uh, And, oh my God, and that horrible Seth MacFarlane movie, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh, wow. um, (laughs) So, you know, she has a wide variety Mm. of things she's done. Um, We also have a um, black female editor, which Mm -hmm. is like, I feel like there's, of all the positions in Hollywood that are overwhelmingly white guys, editor, like, may in fact take the cake. And... (laughs) Yeah, there's a black female editor of this movie. Her name's Tara Shropshire. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. Um, She also edited Love and Basketball, When They See Us, Secret Life of Bees. And like, there's all these like amazing projects in, I think, one of the like most white male dominated areas of Mm -hmm. movie. Yeah, Love and Basketball, another black classic. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, that is a classic. (laughs) So she seems like she's just, you know, kind of an icon in that field, just like a lot of great representation behind the camera as well. And like the tea, I mean, everything in this movie gels so well. Mm -hmm. And also, I didn't know Casey Lemons studied cinematography in college as well. So you have to imagine she's bringing some stuff to the cinematography, too. And it's all you're like. Wow! More movies should be made like this.
3: Um, There's also um, uh, it's a man, but a black composer, Terrence Blanchard. Yeah, he's composed like composed the score.
0: Jazz legend, and he, mm-hmm. uh, God, he, but he plays the trump. Oh, and then he he won an Academy Award for Black Klansman a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm.
4: Oh, that's right. That's why I know that name. Yeah.
0: He and and then I guess he and I found he and Casey Lemons also wrote an opera together. Uh huh or they were supposed to and then COVID hit and now they're gonna release their opera later like i like i love when collaborators like working together and then they do a bunch of like weird shit like i'm like <laughs> yeah sure write an opera why not like casey lemon's opera i guess I- I, you know if it's safe to see i would see it um so i, I just i was I-, I really loved just how like how much representation there was behind Mm -hmm. the camera.
3: Definitely. Especially in those, like, those are, like, three very major roles that, you know, what is it? They call it, like, the top top six title card, whatever, roles. And, like, they're almost always given to white men Mm. in Hollywood productions. So, yeah, Yeah, that was awesome.
4: And for 1997, I mean. For 1997. I'm like, okay, pretty good.
3: The other, so shooting started on this movie, and Casey Lemons was either pregnant pregnant um, oh, or yeah. she had just yeah. given birth to her first child i couldn't really figure out exactly what the timeline was there but i was like that is cool because like society has this image of women that if like you're a mother you can especially like a new mother or if you're pregnant you can't work or yeah. if you're a working woman you can't be a mother so like she was just like no like i i'm gonna make this movie and i'm also a mother and two things can be true
4: I love that. that for her. Yeah, uh, right. I think you're so right that we have this misconception that if a woman has a baby, she may as well just like crawl into a grave and die <laughs> for a few years. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: yeah that's, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the last two production-y slash reception things are notes about men, but I, I thought that they were interesting. It's, I think, as is also very common in this case, a woman and particularly like a woman of color making her first movie she needed a very powerful man to co-sign on the project before mm-hmm. it could be made. So this project was kind of like languishing the script It existed for some time. And it wasn't until Samuel L. Jackson was like, I'll star in the movie, okay? And then it could <laughs> get made. So it's right. like, you know, it's, it's definitely not ideal. It's something that needs to keep changing. But I do like to see powerful men using that power to like bring new talent into the folds and mm-hmm. so that was cool this was also this is kind of neither here nor there i just was like genuinely really surprised because we are always talking about is this roger ebert a, yeah <laughs> yep. i was like because we have like been dragging roger ebert non-stop correctly <laughs> for years because he just like sucks he generally has no idea what any like any story that is not for him explicitly he's like "Mm, confusing hated it negative stars (laughs) hated it for losers but uh in in kind of a a shocking heel turn here uh roger ebert named this movie hit the best film of 1997 Mm -hmm.
4: oh wow that that is surprising to me that is very surprising to me because he I have my own feelings about him. That I find yeah. that surprising.
0: Yeah, I did too. I was like, "Wow, okay, at least he's a Casey Lemon stan. I like, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's something. That
4: might have been Chaz Ebert, his wife, doing. <laughs> that might
0: have been Chaz in the midst. She's like,
3: "Give me this one thing." But, uh, yeah. but I wonder if his sort of championing this movie led to another fact about this movie which is that it was the highest grossing independent film of 97 so i wonder if his like ringing endorsement like encouraged more people to go see it because it had a four million dollar budget and it grossed 15 million at the box office which again doesn't feel doesn't sound huge but for an independent movie 15 Mm -hmm. million dollars at the box office pretty significant in 1997 money
0: too like that's that yeah that's big Mm -hmm. I do wonder yeah I do because I feel like for all of its issues that we have talked about at length at this point I am surprised that this movie is not like that not everybody knows about it it seems like a real like classic of its genre and it does so much that not many movies are doing and so I, I guess I was glad that Ebert pushed it it just I don't know ultimately I'm like I just wish more people knew about this movie. I wish it was Mm -hmm. like more taught. I wish it was more discussed. Like, and I wish that, I think that honestly, it's the sort of thing where at the time had the fucking, I I know that we're always like the golden globes are for losers, right? Oscars (laughs) are for losers. Like it almost goes without saying, but being recognized in some way by those institutions does sort of, I feel like, have an effect on solidifying certain movies as oh, like definitely. movies worth remembering and movies yeah. worth recognizing. And I just wish that this movie had been recognized more by those institutions. And I wonder if, if they had, like, would it be a movie that we would just be hearing more about now? Like, yeah, yeah. I wish I'd seen this movie sooner for for all of its flaws. I I really... It's doing so much that movies of its time were not attempting. Well, mm-hmm. if
4: you had grown up in my house, you would have had it on VHS, and it would have been oh, one of five it. movies, like in a little <laughs> cabinet that one could watch if they wanted. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the movie cabinet my mom had the fucking cbs ron perlman beauty and the beast on vhs and that (laughs) was that is a
4: talk about a classic wow
0: a horny classic linda hamilton (laughs) and ron (laughs) we will not be covering it on the show but boy have (laughs) i seen a lot of it
3: oh goodness is uh is there anything else anyone wants to discuss I mean, the
0: episode's longer than the movie at this point. <laughs> I don't.
3: <laughs> Isn't that true of literally all of our episodes within the past two years? It's true. Speaking of which, my chicken run poster
0: is coming in the mail today. <gasps> I'm very excited. I love that yeah. movie. Yeah. Wow. Ging- Ginger's on her
3: way. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, well,. It probably comes as no surprise that this movie does pass the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. Uh, women are interacting, women and girls are interacting in this movie with each other a lot. Um, and the Duvernay test as well. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, the female characters are talking a lot about men in a lot of scenes, either like about Lewis or about Moselle's husbands, but there are still quite a few scenes that pass the Bechtel test. Yeah. I guess that brings us to our. Our nipple scale, where we examine the movie based on just intersectional feminism. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie is going to break my brain trying to <laughs> assign it a nipple number. Um, I think I want to give it three or three and a half because as we've discussed that like the information is there that allows for a pretty clear interpretation that cecily is a survivor of abuse and that her father is an abuser and i appreciate that this movie is trying to tackle this subject matter and And I think that the intent was to approach it responsibly. However, I do still feel that the movie ends in a way that allows room for interpretation and for a different reading, which again, I think is a very dangerous thing to do in regards to child sex abuse. That said, it's still an important piece of black cinema and of cinema in general, um, I don't know. Oh gosh, yeah, I guess three and a half, <laughs> and I'll kind of distribute them evenly to Casey Lemons, Journey Smollett Lynn Whitfield, Megan Good, Debbie Morgan. Just, just all the women in in an all star story. cast. Yes, yeah. So that's that. Uh I'm gonna go. Ugh, I'm
0: I'm tempted. I'm definitely doing a three and a half I'm tempted to even go for a four but I'm I'm gonna go I think with a three and a half because I do agree that for its time is I mean, it's, it's so hard, right, because I, I think that in terms of 1997 talking about child sex abuse on screen. I feel like I can say pretty confidently that this movie does more than anyone was even attempting to do at the same at this time, mm-hmm. while also making a lot of the same fuck ups that movies at this time were doing. It is mm-hmm. like, as far as I'm concerned, like never going to be worth the risk to put a child performer in a position like that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel a little differently about the. Uh, ambiguity because I do feel like uh she gave us all the clues Mr. Policeman and so <laughs> I don't want to necessarily punish the movie for that because I do feel like Casey Lemons does give us all the information I do just wish that like I guess we didn't even talk about this, but the the, the line that I think was crossed, like crossed a line for me Mm -hmm. was when uh, Moselle told Eve, like your dad says he wishes he had gotten that last dance. That for me kind of crossed the line of like, so we're gaslighting beyond the grave. is like (laughs) for real, like, is that necessary? And so I, I do think that the movie gives Samuel L. Jackson's character more than he deserves in terms of ambiguity Mm -hmm. i am i don't know i just for sure the conversation was not sophisticated enough in the general public then or now clearly for people to inherently believe sicily i think if we were living in this fantasy world where we were as a society inclined to believe survivors that a lot of the choices in this movie wouldn't bother me as much and so Mm -hmm. i'm like I'm I, it's kind of confusing because I don't want to punish Casey lemons or the art mm-hmm. for society not being where it needs to be on this issue but it isn't and so I just don't really know I do know that I really dislike the fact that the scene was filmed in the medium that it was yeah everything else I'm kind of like oh I don't know uh stories about Uh, generational trauma, I think, are, are really rarely done well and thoughtfully. And this movie kind of ticks a lot of boxes in terms of like showing you, you know, kind of the effects of generational trauma and showing you like, yes, Roz is wrong a lot of the time, while also showing her empathy in other moments in a way that felt really like, I mean, you can't ask for like a harder task as a writer than to show all of this stuff i don't know Mm -hmm. i mean i like am genuinely i'm just glad that casey lemons did it and like for all of its failures i feel like it's a triumph that it happened and that it was released and that it had this cultural impact and i don't want to punish it for society being worthless (laughs) i don't know i don't know i guess i'm gonna go three and a half and i don't know how to feel uh (laughs) and i'm broken <laughs> i'm giving all of my nipples to debbie morgan because she nice. really she really did it with this one.
3: Oh yeah bridget what about you
4: i think i would put this it's a tough call for me i would say between 3.5 and four nipples i say for the, the the heavy you know female-led talent both on camera and behind the camera i think it's I, mm-hmm. I can't go lower um i don't know that i can give it a solid four but i'm some i'm somewhere in there sure cool yeah
3: totally agree well, thank you so much for joining us i what a what a treat it's been what a what a memory this will be for <laughs> all of us thank you
0: for thank you for bringing us this movie truly i'm like mm-hmm. i'm I'm so happy that we got to talk about it
4: yeah it's it I'm happy that this was on the agenda because i it's nice to have a reason to rewatch it and it's just nice mm-hmm. to have a throwback of kind of a time capsule capsule of how we were. Dealing with representing Black girlhood, Black womanhood on screen—it's—it's it's nice to look back to see kind of where we were at then and where we've come now. So I appreciate having the the the, the reason to rewatch. Hell yeah! Totally,
3: yeah. And um, tell us where people can check out your stuff, listen to your podcast, follow you on social media, etc.
4: Well, thank you for asking. So, if you want to hear more from me, please, please check out my podcast, "There Are No Girls on the Internet," on iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're doing this great mini series all about disinformation called "Disinformed," and really elevating some narratives around marginalized people, women of color, women, how we've all played a role showing up online and how we have gotten to this very kind of particular social and political moment that we find ourselves in. So, if you're interested in that, please check it out. It's called There Are No Girls on the Internet. And you can follow me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC or on Twitter at Bridget
3: Marie. Hell yeah. Awesome. And Bridget, truly, come back anytime.
4: Oh, it's been a pleasure. I'll I'll be back. Y'all y'all, y'all will not be able to get rid of me.
3: Uh, wow well you can check us out on twitter and instagram at bechtelcast you can subscribe to our patreon aka matreon speaking of chicken run i believe that episode will have recently dropped, uh, among many others. And that's Socialist Classic Chicken Run. Oh my goodness. Um that's at patreon.com slash Spectalcast. It's five dollars a month and you get two bonus episodes plus access to the back catalog. Uh, Oh, and you can also get t-shirts. I always miss my
0: cue here. Uh, (laughs) You can also get t-shirts at tpublic.com slash bechtelcast. We have masks amongst other wares. So, Mm. um,
3: you know, log on in, see what you like. Yeah. And um, until next time. um, This is just a memory now. Oh, wow. And it's it's imprinted indelibly on your brain